0: Uh, it's good to hear you sing. Jesus had a popularity problem. Now not the kind that we normally think of. Jesus popularity problem was that he was too popular. And he had to he periodically helped people remember that he wasn't about crowds. He didn't come to build a crowd, he came to build an army. And so periodically he would say some rather harsh things. And in the passage we look at this morning, Luke chapter 14, turn there with me in your your Bibles. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. Luke tells us that Jesus used strong language to tell the crowds that he was serious about discipleship. Not about crowds. In fact, it says... In verse 25, Luke chapter 14, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, that person is unable to be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me is unable to be my disciple. You say, that's harsh language. That, wow. That seems to contradict so much of Jesus' teaching uh, where he goes on and on about love. And in the epistles, we read about husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So how could Jesus say here, if you don't hate your father, mother, your wife and husband, your children, you cannot be my disciple. Well, the first thing to understand about this statement is it's what we call a Hebraism. It was the way Hebrews talked. We read in Genesis that that Jacob loved Rachel and hated Leah. And I think if you were to see Jacob standing in the back and say, how in the world could you hate Leah? He would say, what in the world are you talking about? I didn't hate Leah. Well, the Bible said you did. That's a Hebraism. Just like we use words differently today. I have a friend named Randy who went to Australia. And people laughed when he told them what his name was, because Randy means something different in Australia than it means here. We read here British people talking about a boot. They mean the trunk of our car. I read this week that there is a dictionary of black language being published that helps us honkies understand what it means to be a cracker, what woke really means. There's a whole language, and in, in, in the Hebrew language, to, to use this time kind of terminology was not nearly as harsh as it sounds to our ears. Uh, Jesus, another time, said, if you don't, anyone who loves father or mother or brother or sister more than me, can I be my disciple? Now, some people try to soften this passage by saying that was this. No, that was a whole different situation. Specifically here, Jesus was thinning the crowd by helping him understand what, it, what he was all about. And he wasn't all about building crowds. He was all about recruiting and training an army. In fact, in John chapter 6, we read this language here. When the crowds, once again... The crowds were getting big, and Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And some people went in the bushes and vomited. What are you talking about? What does that mean? Well, on hearing it, This, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus said to the twelve, a subgroup within the larger group of followers, Jesus said to the twelve, do you guys want to leave too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus said, I have all these people, these insincere people, people who are looking for the circus. That John 6 one occurred right after the feeding of the 5,000. And the next day, the crowds were coming and saying, hey, any more uh, fish sandwiches? That was cool yesterday. I'm glad you're bringing the kingdom. Now you're going to give us free food. And Jesus said, you totally misunderstand what I'm about. And he said, I want the people who follow me to understand what it means. And, and this, this language that he used there in chapter 14 uh, about hating, it's, it's, what he's saying is some of you are going to have to adjust some of your values. If there's anybody in your life that can talk you out of following me, you've got to deal with that. Some of you need to maybe love some things, and some people perhaps a little less. Some of you love people perhaps you shouldn't be loving in the way you love them. They're disturbing your thought processes. Love is a powerful, powerful thing. So Jesus said, You need to consider if you love anybody so much that they can talk you out of following me, you need to deal with that. You can love all kinds of people. You must love all kinds of people. I'm all about love, Jesus said, but you can't love anybody more than you love me. And I struggled with that. Still do. For me to honestly say to Jesus, I love you more than Jeanette, I I don't know. And I said, wow, wait for the lightning to strike. Better move back. I don't want to hit you too. Jesus wasn't saying you can't love your wife. I told you to love your wife. I told you to love your wife like I love the church and give yourself up for her. But if your love for your wife gets in the way of your love for me, don't hate her. Don't kick her out. Don't divorce her. The answer isn't to love her less. The answer is to love me more. So that that great commandment, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I don't think a day goes by where I don't say, Lord, help me do that. Help me do that. Help me love you properly. Help me love you adequately. So if you love anybody so much that they can talk you out of following me, you are unable to be my disciple. If you love your own life, this person is unable to be my disciple. If your ego gets in your way, if you can't have everything you want and you can't follow your own dreams because serving Jesus gets in the way of your own dreams, you need to adjust your dreams. I didn't say everybody's got to quit and go to seminary. That's not what he's talking about. Whatever path God has given you to follow, say this is the path God has given me. I'm convinced of this. I pray about it. I meditate on it. I live my life absolutely to the full because I'm living it for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when my ego gets in the way of that, I have to deal with my ego. Even your own self, even your own life, even your own sense of values about who you are and who you are becoming, they can never get in the way, Jesus said, of your commitment to me, or you are unable to be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me is unable to be my disciple. When times get tough, When following Jesus begins to cost, when struggles come into your life, we've been talking about the past few weeks, when things don't go the way you thought they should go, following Jesus costs you something. People perhaps ridicule or people don't understand. I have a friend named Marv Rosenthal who grew up in a Jewish home. His senior year in high school, he accepted Jesus as his Savior. He went home and told his parents, and they said, you got one week to get that thing out of your system. Made a couple of appointments to the rabbi. Marv went and talked to the rabbi and said, I believe this is true. I cannot abandon it. Came home from school on a Friday. He was a senior in high school. Came home on a Friday afternoon. All his clothes and everything he owned was on the front porch with a letter saying, you will not attend our funerals, you will not attend your siblings' weddings, you are dead to us. If you continue to follow Jesus. Marv picked up his cross, followed Jesus, broke his heart. Broke his heart. By the way, I went to seminary with Marv, I knew him in college, but Marv and I were second year of Seminary Marv said I have to drop out of seminary. I said why and he said studying Hebrew is making me anti-semitic So uh, Hebrew is a tough language. Anyway, that's dear Marv Now you remember Jesus uh, uh, Peter Peter left his father and left the boats and the nets and Became one of Jesus disciples You remember that story very early on one of the first disciples After the crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus went back fishing. Remember that story. And remember Jesus had breakfast for them on the shore, and they came up, and after breakfast, Jesus talked to Peter. Remember the first thing Jesus said to Peter? Do you love me more than these things and stuff? So Jesus said, I'm not here to build crowds. I'm here to build an army. And I'm serious about it. And I want you to be serious about it. I want you to take a hard, hard look at your life to see if you are able to be my disciple. Now, that's very, you notice I keep saying that because Jesus kept saying it. The word, many of our translations say, you cannot be my disciple. Well, what Jesus actually said is, you are not able to be my disciple. Jesus isn't saying, look, I've got this exclusive little club, and if you don't love me, I'm not going to let you in the club. No, 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 no. He said, what you have to consider is, are you capable, are you able to be my disciple? There's a group of guys in West L.A. who ride their bicycles uh, up mountains and up hills. They're called the fireflies. And they do that to raise money for cancer research, for uh, the City of Hope. And their motto is, we hurt for those who suffer. And so the idea is that they train and every Friday morning they take a ride together and then a couple times a year they raise money. They get people to sponsor them and they go do a, a ridiculous, difficult ride for people to give them money which they then give to the City of Hope for cancer research. And it's kind of a... A lot of them are in the entertainment business. It's kind of a macho thing to be a firefly. So periodically another guy will come along and say, hey, could I join you guys? Could I be a firefly? They never say no. They never say you can't be a firefly. They say, do you think you're able to be a firefly? What do you mean? This is tough business. We ride up some of the steepest hills in the Santa Monica Hills and some of these canyons, and we ride fast. We suffer. We hurt for those who suffer. Well, a couple of weeks ago, a guy showed up with his shiny Schwinn, and he wanted to ride with him. They got to the first part of the steep hill, and he started yelling, slow down, wait for me. And they said, no, we told you what the deal is. You are not able to do this. You see the difference? We didn't tell you you couldn't be part of it. We're just say? You have to be able. You have to make some decisions. You're going to have to go home and train. You're going to have to ride yourself and then get ready so that you are able. And all Jesus is saying is, before you decide you want to be my disciple, you better make some decisions in your life. Because I'm not here to build crowds. I'm here to build an army. So to help them understand verses 28 through 30, he told a parable, pardon me, 28 through 32. He told them a parable, and this parable contains two stories. In the first one, he says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Listen to the language here. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone will see it and mock you, saying, this person began to build and was not able to finish. Just how humiliating would that be? All your neighbors say, this poor clown didn't sit down and calculate the cause. Don't just do this on the fly. Sit down and figure this out. What kind of a looney tune would go out and start building a house not think through what this is going to cost. So you get this house framed and then it stops and sits there in the rain because you didn't think it through. Jesus said nobody would do that. Nobody, a smart person would do that. They would calculate if they are able to finish it. They ask the question, is it worth it? Is this house I want to build worth what it's going to cost me? And do I have the stuff to complete it? If not, Jesus said, don't start. Count the cost before you make the commitment. And then he told a second story in this parable. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. So a second way Jesus explained this counting the cost, asking the question, is it worth it? I want to be a disciple, but is it worth what it's going to cost me to be a disciple? Sit down. Ask that question and answer it before you sign on, because otherwise you embarrass me, Jesus said. I think there's another way. I, this is a parable. I think I, I look at it in a little bit different way. I wonder if in this second story, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to war. I came here to go to war against wage war against evil and I'm asking you to join my army I'm asking you to go against the powers of hell the powers of Satan I will always be outnumbered far more people today who do not follow Jesus than those who do Jesus said, now I don't call you soldiers, I call you sheep. But you're going to be sheep with fangs. Because I'm going to equip you. I heard somebody, I think I heard it somewhere, I don't know where I came up with it. I would rather join an army of a hundred sheep led by a lion. Than an army of a hundred lions led by a sheep. What Jesus is saying is, you join my army, it's my army. You're not limited to your own resources. Read the book of Thes- books of Thessalonians, 1 and second Thessalonians. Read the book of Revelation. I'm going to win this thing, and I'm inviting you to be part of it. But it's going to cost you everything. And if you're not willing to give it all, walk away. Because this business of being a Christian it's not a part-time deal. It's not a one-way, one-day-a-week thing, one-hour, one-day-a-week thing. This is your whole life. It's asking, is there anybody I love so much that they can talk me out of following Jesus? If so, I've got to deal with that. Is my own ego so strong that it could talk me, myself, out of following Jesus? If so, I've got to deal with me. When it going gets tough and it starts to cost me to be a disciple... And I have to do some sacrificial giving. And I have to give my time and my effort in ways that that make me tired and go beyond the norm. Am I willing to do that for the cause of Christ? Jesus said, if you're not, take a hike. You are incapable of paying the cost, paying the price of what I meant. I'm not kicking you out. I'm not saying you can't come in. I'm just saying, count the cost before you come on. Is it? Worth it. And then, notice the word Jesus used. He said, I'm not asking you to be followers. I'm asking you to be disciples. Disciples. What is that word? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, I looked up the word in Kittles' Theological Dictionary of New Testament Words. When Jesus said, you are not able to be my disciple if you're not willing to pay the price to be my disciple, Kittel says the uniformity of usage, the first thing to emerge from this review of the word, this translated disciple, mathetes. Mathetes always implies the existence of a personal attachment which shapes the whole life of the one described as disciple, as matetes, in which in its particularity leaves no doubt as to who is deploying that formative power. Jesus said, this isn't a part-time deal. This isn't a sort of thing. It's a personal attachment which shapes the whole life of the one who says, I am a disciple. The control of the disciples by the one to whom they have committed themselves extends in the New Testament to the inner life. That's why Jesus says, I'm not just asking you to attach outside habits or behaviors. Read your Bible. Pray every day. No, 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 no. I'm asking you to change your whole system of values, your whole way of thinking, your whole worldview, what matters to you. What's important? What are you willing to die for? What are you willing to live for? If you're not willing to die for it, you're not willing to live for it. And Jesus said, if there's anybody in your life that can talk you out of this, if you can talk yourself out of it because it, 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 it impinges on your own dreams, if you're not willing to go through the hard times, you cannot be my disciple." In the New Testament, we do not find any instance where mathetes is used without this implication of supremely personal union. Jesus is asking you and me this morning what he asked Peter that morning on the shore by the lake. Do you love me more than these? And you say, what are these? These are everything. (laughs) Ha, ha. And every one, so Jesus forced focused back in on forcing us to choose wisely before committing. So, verse thirty-three, he said, "So therefore, none of you is able to me by to be my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions, everything. Now, give it up means you don't sell it; you don't give it to. It means you own it." It doesn't own you. There's nothing in your life that you're not willing to walk away from for the cause of Christ. There's not anything in your life you're not willing to sacrifice to further the work of Christ. I've been in churches that are struggling, going broke, dying financially. They can't do ministry. They can't support their missionaries. You go out in the parking lot, it's full of luxury cars. Congregation is full of people with second and third homes, but they can't support the missionaries. Why? Because their stuff owns them. And Jesus said, go, live it up, enjoy it, but do not call yourself one of my disciples. You embarrass me, and you embarrass yourself. If you're not willing to give it all to me, you can enjoy it. You can keep it. It's yours. I'm not taking it away from you. I'm just saying, don't make it such a crucial part of your life that it becomes the focus of your life, and I get pushed to the to the outside. When you focus in on your values, what is the single most important thing in your life? Jesus said. It has to be me, or you will not be able to be my disciple. Not kicking you out, not saying you can't be part of the club. I'm just saying it's your choice. And like some of the folks that start riding up the hill with the fireflies, they self-select out. They say, I can't do this. And Jesus said, and some of you will say, I want to sign up, but the first time it gets tough. The first time somebody tries to talk you out of it or the first time it interferes with your ego or the first time it's going to cost you one of your beautiful possessions, you say, uh, sorry. So count the cost. Is it worth it? Before you say yes, count the cost. But then he added this other little thing, verse 34, which just troubled me for a while. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. And then he adds this little phrase, he who has ears to hear. You better listen to this one. And I looked, what, what what's the salt thing about? Well, here's what I believe the salt thing is about. Jesus said, you better count the cost before you say, yes, I want to be a disciple. But you also better count the cost before you say, no, I don't want to be a disciple. I've sent you the salt of the earth. And I've given you the opportunity to be salt. As we said last week, to be tomatoes. But it's your choice. It's going to cost you everything. But understand that salt that has lost its saltiness, is useless. I'm building an army, Jesus said. And I want you to be part of it. But you have to understand what it means to be part of my army. I'm like the Marine Corps, I'm looking for a few good women. A few guys with the guts to do it. This isn't a country club. This isn't a chess club. It's an army. We're in a battle against evil. The evil is destroying our world. Destroying our culture. Destroying our families. Destroying our lives. And I came to change that one person at a time, and I need people I can trust to go along with me. So before you say yes, count the cost. Before you say no, count the cost. He who has ears to hear, you better listen to this. It Sound familiar? Have you heard somebody, Jesus, say that somewhere else? Yeah, I thought, where else did he say that? Well, he said it in Matthew 13. Where he talked about planting the seeds in the soil. And some seeds didn't make it. What he said there, Matthew 13, which is right between Matthew 12 and 14. There it is. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word making it unfruitful. They were not able to be my disciples. But the seed falling on the good soil or as Luke puts it on the good and noble heart. I love that language. On the good and noble heart. They hear the word and understand it. This is the one who produces fruit, a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So Jesus says, I have a wonderful opportunity for you to be used, to be my instrument, to be my disciple, and I will produce fruit, f- fruit, Through you, and you say, Is it worth it? Is it, well, what is this fruit? What is a fruitful life? Well, it takes many forms. I'm just going to brag for a moment. On September 1st, I'm going over to Vanguard University at Costa Mesa because one of my former students, who was in sort of a dead end job, who I believed had a lot more to offer, and invested in his life. I am Jesus' disciple, and Jesus said to me, you go and make disciples. Well, Ryan is now the new provost at this university. And he's invited me to participate in his induction, whatever they call it, thing, the ceremony, with the robes and all that jazz. What a privilege. But you know when I go over there, I'm going to spend some time with his family. You know there's four kids are going to call me? Pop. Because Jeanette and I were Pop and Nettie, and we have kids all over this country who call us Papa Nettie. Because as Jesus disciple, we discipled them. Is it worth it? You bet. Fruit? Yeah. Yeah. And look where you're sitting. This is the fruit of guys named Doug Gerard, Dan Denning, David Ludwig, who kept this ministry and built it. I've talked to two guys this week, younger guys, members of this church, who talk about the fruit. They're the fruit of Diana Schlabach's Sunday school ministry, and many of you who were teachers in that ministry. They're the fruit of Kathy Oposhan's youth ministry, and many of you participated in those retreats in those ministries. And then Ryan Small, uh, small. And if, and if I hear people talk about Floyd Rhodes and his stewardship campaigns. Remember those? We're going to start it again, by the way, so get your wallets out. <laughs> fruit, fruit, a disciple producing fruit. You can walk around this place, all over this place. There's stuff that Fletcher C- Cove has used his beautiful skill of carpentry and creativity to build. That's the fruit of a disciple. Think of the missions ministry with Joe, Joe, Joyce and Joe Stein and, and Jeff Huskenfeld and his committee and their committees keeping this missions ministry alive. I think of the Stephen ministry in Greece Share with Deb and Brad Smith, fruit. I think of all the structures that Bill Bramer has built around. Sometimes Bramer is crazy, but it's, it's fruit. Not everybody's going to have kids who call them pop. Not everybody's been called to that. But every single person in this room has been called to discipleship if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. The question isn't, can you join the club? The question is, are you able to be part of the army? Because you love Jesus more than anyone or anything else in your life.